welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we are here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. And like always, we want to give fresh manna for today. We're not focusing a whole lot on the past or even the future, but we want to have what God has for us today. So I hope this is beneficial for you. And to help me unpack our topic today, which I'll get to in just a minute, is Chuck Hetzler, the Vice President of Christian Union America. And and, uh, Chuck, welcome. Thanks for being on for the first time. Hey, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Just explain to us a little bit briefly about Christian Union, what you do. And I know that there's two sides to it. So uh, yeah, jump in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Christian Union is a ministry that has two parts to it. We started as a ministry to university students, and we continue that ministry. Maybe that's what we're most well-known for, because that's where we started. But we also have a second side of our ministry, which is growing a lot, and that's our ministry to adults across the nation. It includes graduates of these schools where we minister, but also uh, anyone across the nation. It's, it's our ministry to, to Christians, to local churches and to the body, body of Christ at large across the nation. And, and that's the area that I work in. We do different things like have uh, what we call Christian Union fire retreats, which are uh, a weekend of seeking God, a Friday night and a Saturday. Um, we have uh, national fasts that we host. We have uh, Bible studies that are being published by Tyndale Press. So those are some of the offerings that come through Christian Union America. And it's really a privilege to be able to work with this ministry. Awesome. Yeah. We've had your founder and director on a few times, Matt Bennett. Maybe some of our listeners remember Matt, but great stuff, substantive. I love how you guys are just so deep in the scriptures, but as well as believing God to move in power. And, you know, that's actually what we're talking about today is why is God not moving more in America right now? And Chuck, in light of what you just described briefly, you know, with your ministry and mission, I know this is deeply in your heart. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here to to unpack this with me. So I hope we can have absolutely, a, yeah, have a great conversation together on this that I hope is truly helpful because I believe there are specific reasons why God is not moving in America, um, at least not to a significant degree like we're all hoping for. And mm. uh, and I know this is part of your mission. So with that That's said, right. um, I just want to actually back up a little bit before we jump into the meat of this today, and ask you like, how did your heart? Or um, how did you get drawn to wanting to see a greater move of God? You know, whether it's locally where you've ministered and lived or it is nationally, but you've been on a journey here. If you can uh, speak into that. This was not a topic that I was ever interested in Oh, about, you know, before 15 years ago. In fact, you know, I was still in ministry and loved the Lord and all that sort of thing, but did not have a heart or a vision for God moving more. You know, it was kind of like I was just content with whatever God was doing. And there's something to contentness, of course, but there's also something to pressing in and uh, seeking God's kingdom and his presence continually more and more. And so the way that this happened for me is when I joined the Christian Union University side of the ministry at Princeton University in 2008, uh, we saw an incredible move of God on that campus. We saw the ministry grow from about 70 students involved to about 450 over the period of about three years. We saw the, a multiplicative increase in the number of students who were coming to Christ for the first time. Conversions went from about three per year to about 30 per year. We saw God do incredible things in different eating clubs, which are like their fraternities and sororities. 
uh, atheist, the, the atheist um, student council representative on the on the religious life council uh, became a Christian and testified that he's no longer an atheist, can't represent atheism on the religious life council anymore because he believes in Jesus Christ and follows him. Uh, captains of the football team and other sporting teams were coming to Christ and it was all over the student newspaper and everything else. So here I was, uh, a, a well-meaning and, uh, and, and kind of good-hearted Christian minister coming to this campus, not with a vision for God to do that sort of stuff. But as we started praying uh, so much more, as we started fasting, as we started getting our lives uh, seriously lined up with God and, um, and started doing that in a consistent way all together, God came. And he did all these things. And I thought to myself, after I experienced that at one of the most unlikely places at Princeton University, I thought, man, if God can do this at Princeton, he can do this anywhere. There's no place that's too secular, that's too hard for him to change if we as the people of God will do what he requires for us to do. And, and I know that leads into our topic today. So I want to throw out a few things here. Um, as we transition really into the the uh, the substance of, of this conversation, and that is, I have a sense in the body of Christ in America today that the most, or I should say, the vast majority of Christians do not expect God to move. So when we're talking about this, why is God not moving in a more significant way in America right now? I know that there are some people that talk about God moving, revival, spiritual awakenings, a national awakening. They talk about it a lot. However, I think the average Christian out there, um, they're not expectant. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, Dave. That, like I said, that was my experience. That's where I was. I had already gone to seminary, been very involved in churches and ministries. So again, I was, I was a good guy, but I didn't have this vision. I didn't have this hope. I didn't have this expectation. And I think a couple of reasons for that, there are probably many, but a couple that come to my mind are, number one, that the Christian leaders really aren't calling people to that. They aren't casting a vision for it in general. Um, so I think that's one shortfall that we face in our current American Christian context. And I think that the other thing is that we're just not as well, and this connected to what I just said, but we're just not as well connected to um, great moves of God. And, you know, America has one of the greatest histories of revivals of any nation. You can call them great, great awakenings or moves of God or whatever you want to call them. But um, we have so uh, such a rich history of God doing amazing things when his people seek him right here in our nation. And you know what? So much of the international church has, has learned lessons from our own Christian history that we haven't learned, that we haven't studied, that, that the average Christian doesn't know about. So I think there's it's kind of a lack of vision for it and understanding about how God does this and, and wants to do it in, in any generation, in any country, in any locality. When I was doing uh, a campus revival ministry full time, again, let's not get caught up on the word revival, but I'm just, we're all believing God to move on campus, more people to come to faith, the, the uh, body of Christ become much more uh, anointed and powerful in, in its life and witness and all that kind of stuff. But um, I was, I traveled to Montana State University a number of times, and it was really uh, awesome to see God, God move over a, a few year period. It was really exciting. But I remember, um, the one of the directors of one of the campus ministries, because we worked with all the campus ministries on that campus for a few years, 
Um, and I remember with the one director when he was deciding whether or not he even wanted to go down this path, in other words, mm -hmm. of expecting God to move, to really believe God in these kinds of things. He said, you know, I could keep doing ministry the way I'm doing it right now. And I can kind of hope for things to improve maybe one or 2% mm -hmm. every year. And he, he just said, I just can't be satisfied with that. I want God to break in, I want to see something happen that truly nobody can explain except for God showed up and God moved. Yeah. And, uh, and he also in included in that, in that explanation that, um, that, you know, you don't really see it in the scriptures of a one or 2% improvement um, mm. each year. What you see in the scriptures is God suddenly taking center stage. Now I'm not mm -hmm. going to minimize if we are seeing a gradual, like increase in our our walk with God, or our ministry, our local churches, I'm not going to minimize that. But it does seem like if we do that without this expectation mm -hmm. of, a, of a powerful move of God, um, again, we just come back to this place where we are right now, like you said, in yeah. the American context of not having a lot of expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think about faith. I think we just don't have the faith for it. Um, in Hebrews 11, one, you know, faith is expectation of, of things uh, hoped for, you know, and uh, seeing things that are unseen. So there is an element of faith that we expect certain things uh, for God to do. And uh, also in Hebrews eleven six, it says faith is uh, it requires us that we seek God and believe that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And um, so I think there's a, a lack of faith in our midst, you know, not a faith in terms of believing that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, but faith for what you're talking about, God doing more. And I think we also just get distracted. You know, we have God's blessed us so much in this nation and we have so many things to be involve ourselves with so many amusements and entertainments and uh, kids sporting events and all that sort of stuff. And there's a place for all of that, but it's taken the primary place for many Christians instead of the secondary place where it should be. And I think it's just mm. sometimes just distractions. We don't have time to really dream and about God's kingdom coming, you know, because we're so cluttered in our minds with all these other things that we're wanting to do for ourselves instead of having a heart and a vision for how can I see the kingdom of God come to my community or how can I see my life be, uh, uh, you know, and myself be like a carrier of God's presence and, and, and bringing the kingdom with me wherever I go. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to this, I think, but right. uh, may God give us grace uh, to, mm -hmm. to have this hope and this vision and, and, and believe for something more. I mean, we serve the God of the universe. We see the, serve the God for whom nothing is impossible. So um, we should be seeing these sorts of things and, and our hearts should get stirred at uh, the prospect of seeing God show off, so to speak, <laughs> um, in our context and, and in this nation. Right. So uh, Chuck, as I'm getting inspired listening to you right now, <laughs> let's stop and do a prayer meeting. We need it now to have God come. Um, but what I was thinking of is this quote I got from uh, from this book called The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N. And he says in the introduction of his book, now he was writing this back in the 1950s, and he had experienced personal uh, move of God as well as a corporate move of God. But um, he uh, he says in there that you must, before you're going to really see God move, you must become dissatisfied. And he says mm -hmm. in two ways. First and foremost, the priority is dissatisfaction 
of, of the move of God in your own life. Like, in other words, we recognize a lack of move of God, as Jesus called it in John 7. Streams of living water are a promise to every Christian. We just say, I feel dry on the inside. I don't feel streams of living water. So we first we recognize that. We don't just gloss over passages like John 7 and many others that talk about the reality of God. But then, but then he also says in the second area, we also have a dissatisfaction of the state of the church or wherever we are meeting with the body of believers, a community of believers. He says, we come into a dissatisfaction, which essentially how I would phrase it, we start looking around going, okay, I'm reading the Bible. That means where I'm meeting right now for church and fellowship and Bible stuff, there should be a whole lot more going on. And I am dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Um so let me put it this way, and then we're going to just turn the corner here a little bit, but just put it this way, because um, I feel myself pulled in this other direction of not being expectant, and um, a- a- a many times, and I mean, I like we've just talked about, we both experienced this, and this happens to us too, where the spiritual temperature can come down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but if we just kind of, our expectation is, hey, we're going to have some good worship here, praise songs, hymns, we're going to do that. And hey, I'm looking forward. To, I hope we have a good message from the pastor today. And, and that, that those kinds of things are expectation. And then typically um, during a worship service, there'll be some sort of announcements of something going on within uh, uh, the, the, the church life. Well, if that's it, that's exactly what you and I are describing is the problem. We're not against good worship or good messages Mm -hmm. or announcements about church life, but where's the expectation that Mm -hmm. God himself will walk among us? God himself will start doing things that no one can explain except for he came in the room. And he, Mm -hmm. maybe a more biblically accurate way to say that is that he's manifesting his presence among us in a greater, greater way. So, so let's kind of wrap that up. And uh, um, in terms of just, we want to have this expectation, but let's just, and like you said a minute ago, distractions, everything come into our, our lives. We, uh, we totally understand that. I think we all do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, there's another group of people that I actually think at the end of the day are getting in the way of revival, but this group's totally different. This group is expecting God to move. In fact, they have declared it. They've decreed it. And so this is what I'm calling the declare and decree group. And they do know the verbiage and they are saying it. But I'm looking at how this is playing out in local uh, mm-hmm. Christian contexts. And I'm like, there's something wrong here. Can you talk into this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I've, I've run across those people, heard those people. And uh, I just kind of asked the question, where in the Bible, where in church history, has there ever been a great move of God that was preceded just with people declaring and decree? I don't know of an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I see patterns in scripture and I see patterns in church history and promises of God that he will come and he will do a great move and a great work among us when we meet certain conditions but I don't see declaring decreeing being any one of those. You could put that as perhaps a subset of prayer, and then I could agree with you that that's important. But it reminds me of uh, something I've heard Matt Bennett to say. We've we've mentioned this before, and he's worked um, in in uh, especially in Ivy League college campuses for a number of years. And he said, if I had you know a nickel for every person who said I went to Harvard and we took a team there and we declared and decreed that revival's coming, 
you know, he'd be a rich man. And yet, you know, <laughs> we're not seeing revival, at least based on those things. We have seen God do some good things here and there. But um, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that I think it, it uh, reflects the spirit of our age in that it is kind of a lazy way of approaching, uh, see, seeking God for revival or a great move. Because, so hey, talk, if we can just sit back, yeah, if we can just sit back and say, oh, you know, I declare and decree that the spirit of God will fall at X place and that there millions of people will come to faith. You know, how easy is that? It's like, all right, you know, sit back, turn on Netflix again, and we're good to go. Instead of pray, fast, repent, obey, you know, some of these things that cause us to crucify the flesh and inconvenience ourselves and suffer for the sake of the gospel. Um, you know, which one seems like a more difficult way to go? <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. Right. And I, I actually saw this. I, I'm gonna, Well, I'm going to call this declaring decree group. It's well beyond you two prophets, but I'm going to, because a lot of it really gets fed that that this perspective is being fed a lot of times by people on YouTube with very large followings. And we haven't stopped like you just did briefly and say, where is this in the Bible? And, um, and it feels good though. And anyway, one of these, I was looking at this sheet where this person, again, YouTube prophet, but I, I need to be clear here and fair. This could be your local pastor doing this too, or it could be somebody in your Bible study or prayer group. It's not just people on YouTube, but that these are certainly some of the more vocal voices I've run into. But one of these um, uh, uh, YouTube prophets, he actually had this whole sheet of uh, declarations to make, encouraging Christians to make. And the last declaration was, and God will save America. And I'm like, okay, this is getting bizarre, almost like we're telling God what to do. Now, mm -hmm. God, I think, has a few bones to pick with the church in America and America mm -hmm. at large. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at how morally we've gone off the rails, but many other things are completely bizarre and we keep rebelling against God more and more and more in this nation. And yet all we have to do is stop and declare and decree that God will save America. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay. Mm -hmm. It does feel good to say that. I got to admit. Okay. Even when mm -hmm. I just said it right now, it's like, Ooh, that gives me a warm feeling. Yeah. But yeah. what if God is sending judgment to America? What if we yeah. have rebelled and continue to rebel? And um, I don't want to go down too far on any particular path because that's not the focus of our conversation today. Yeah. But I, I do want to at least touch on transgenderism in that mm -hmm. it seems like it's just surging everywhere. I have evidence um, mm -hmm. Small town America is yeah. also being infiltrated with transgenderism, which is exactly the opposite of God. Uh, well, how he created us as male and female and all the science would show that the, the Bible's uh, exactly right on this. The science and the data do show that we're, we're uh, born male or female, et cetera, like that. Mm -hmm. We don't think God is seeing this stuff. It's yeah. like, like, it seems yeah. to me that our culture drastically year by year is going uh, more and more off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that, Dave. I think it, it I believe that America is already under God's judgment. Just the fact that we're seeing what we are seeing in, in terms of the things that you just mentioned, as well as others, it's an evidence of that. According to Romans one, I mean, one of the evidences of God's judgment is that he hands us over to do these different things. Um, and so that's part of it. Now it, it'll get worse if we continue and don't return to God. 
Um, but you know, there was one thing real quick that I want to say, thinking about the declare and the decree thing. I think one of the reasons that that people get kind of confused about the declare and decree thing, because it feels like going back to something we were talking about at the beginning, it feels like you're being full of faith, right? You're like, God will save America. And, and it's it's almost a, a statement of I believe that God will save America. And there's something that's good and right in saying. I believe that God can do anything that's uh, that's anything that's possible or anything that seems impossible. Um, so that's a good instinct. But in terms of, yeah, like stating it as a point of fact without stepping into it and doing what God has asked us to do, that's where the the, the kind of faith muscle uh, doesn't follow through. You know, faith has to be evidenced in actions. And if it's just a statement, it's not really faith. It's not faith until you put it into practice. And in this case, saying, I believe the guy can save America and I'm going to do what he re- he requires and what he asks us to do in order to do that. So I just want to touch on that for a minute. But, um, you know, to your point about what we're seeing all across America, I think that, yeah, the message, and, and I so appreciate you and your ministry for this, needs to be one more of warning rather than hey, let's put on a happy face and pretend everything's going to be just fine without us like soberly looking at the situation and saying, God have mercy upon us. We need to radically change our lives in order that we would avert your judgment or your greater judgment. Yeah, the the warning piece of this is huge. Um, And so I think what makes this confusing as well, well, let me go, I actually with the warning piece, Typically, when you look at the biblical prophets, they were not hesitant to warn the people. And clearly, the biblical prophets were speaking God's very words. And so it's almost like you could say, oh, you're a personal lack of faith because you're now talking about God could send judgment or there's other problems in the culture or we're rebelling against God. Actually, we need to be really careful on this because if we're not allowing uh, the prophets to speak, we got a huge problem. Um, but also we can, as it talks about in Jeremiah 23, we can start lining up with false prophets. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge theme in the scriptures of prophets giving a false message. God said, I never sent them. Read it for yourself in Jeremiah yeah. 23, many other scriptures. But there's a lot of stuff that's that's actually going on here. Um, you know, when you mentioned a, a, a little bit ago here about the laziness that this can be bring in, um, I do hear a few voices, uh, let's just say, declare a fast. <laughs> How many are w- willing not to eat for 20 days? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not hearing this. I'm hearing that God will save America and declare and decree and blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait a second. How about declaring that we're all going to jump into the scriptures and obey the scriptures at a whole new level? How about mm-hmm. that we declare and decree that that if as God allows us to, we're going to be and moves in us, we're going to be sharing our faith more than ever. It's like... Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, we just declare and decree, basically what we're doing is declaring a happy ending. And my personal feeling is that revival can come, a move of God, a spiritual awakening can come, but in light of the wild rebellion of America, it would be a a move of God to, I believe, both um, Mm -hmm. empower God's people through very Mm -hmm. difficult days, Mm -hmm. as well as take a harvest. So, uh, yeah. A lot here. Anything Anything else on this yeah. one, Chuck? Yeah, well, you know, talking about the laziness, the spiritual laziness, um, 
that that this tends toward the declaring the decree reminds me of a quote that I know we've talked about uh, together before, which is by R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was a graduate of Yale University and Yale Divinity School at the end of the 1900s and was a, an author and a Christian leader in um, in our nation. And he said, if you ever see actually, I've got this pulled up. Let me say say it exactly as he said it. If you see something men call a revival and there is no conviction of sin, you may know at once that it is bogus. And I think that's part of what needs to be underscored here with the declaring the decree thing, just as you're saying, where is the, where is the call to self-sacrifice? Where is the call to self-denial, to seeking God with all of our heart and all of our lives in terms of our actions? Where is the call to repentance? Where are we looking at ourselves and saying, you know, how am I out of step with the Lord? Uh, what are things that I need to put away from my own lives, my own life, rather than just kind of saying, hey, yeah, it's great. Let's just say God's going to come and it's he's going to do it. Um, sounds in a way, it sounds appealing and attractive and even some ways full of faith. But in another way, it's lacking repentance. It's lacking some of these other areas where God is calling us to seek him. You will find me when you seek me and when you seek me with all your heart. Surely that's got to be more than just saying it's going to happen. So um, if we're not sensing a conviction of sin, as R.A. Torrey, you just quoted there, um, it seems to seriously undermine any motivation for repentance. Yeah. And that's a whole nother reason that we're not seeing a greater move of God in America. Uh, it's mm-hmm. repentance within Christians first. And we think if, hey, if anybody needs to repent, it's those non-Christians out there that need to repent and they need to change and stuff. But honestly, I feel like, uh, well, not just feel, but you know, the scriptures teach First Peter 4, that judgment begins in the house of God. Repentance yep. is not just some Old Testament uh, concept. We see both John the Baptist, Jesus, uh, of course, Paul talks about it too in Acts 26 in his ministry. But all of these things are, you have to repent. And many of this, um, uh, well, let me just highlight one that actually is focused on believers. Uh, I believe that God wanted to send um, a great move of his spirit and and, and a great uh, anointing of his presence to the seven churches in Revelation chapters Mm -hmm. two and three. Mm-hmm. This is a New Testament concept. Five of those seven churches are called on by Jesus himself to repent of specific sins. And it's there's like an implication there. Well, it's not just an implication. Jesus actually tells those five churches, if you don't do it, there's not revival yeah. coming. He doesn't say that piece, yeah. but it's implied. But there's judgment coming against you as believers. Yeah. First Peter 4, uh, that God first judges the house of God. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And I, I, one of the things that um, we in Christian Union have really learned from a trip to uh, the Fiji Islands, where we weren't just going there to uh, relax and have recreation, we were going there to see what God had been doing through the Healing the Land ministry, um, where the, over 120 villages have been radically transformed as they've gone through a four-week process of prayer, fasting, and repentance. And uh, it's an amazing, amazing story. But one of the things we learned from that is that they identify very specifically in each village what needs to be repented of. And they preach on it for a whole week to all the all the villagers. And then they go the next week from house to house and they sit down with the whole family and they say, what are you all doing 
that is against God's will, no matter how big or how small. Let's talk about it. Let's repent of it. Let's change our ways. And then that's why they see literally biblical style miracles take place in their villages. And I'd love to you know, go on and tell stories about that, but that's for another time. So one of the things we learned going back to uh, what, what we focus on, one of the things we focus on in calling ourselves and uh, others to repentance in the body of Christ is focusing on, on what are the specific sins. I think sometimes people feel like, okay, you know, I need to repent. What do I repent of? Um, what do I need? You know, um, and they're just kind of having a hard time because we don't know the scriptures and we don't know what God calls sin. And so, you know, one of my favorite passages in looking at this is like second Timothy three, one to one to four, one to five. And, um, you know, you see some things in there that just stand out to me that are so applicable for us today he says people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money rather than lovers of God. And I think that's all over Christianity. There's so much self-indulgence. How much in a, you know, how much just in a daily activity kind of standpoint do we spend doing so many other things? And how much time do we spend seeking God each day? And I think for the average Christian, it may be five minutes a day. We can't give God more than five minutes each day seeking him, worshiping him, loving him drawing close to him, opening up his scriptures and uh, feeding ourselves with the words of life. I think that's one area where we can just kind of stop right there and say, you know what, with my time, I don't love God. I love myself. I love, you know, all the things I get to do. I'd rather sit back and entertain myself in front of a TV for the night or on the internet or whatever else, instead of taking time to, to be devoted to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, the coming King, the eternal one. So I, I think focusing in on specific sins for people uh, is something that needs to happen. It's not necessarily an, a, a fun message to give. I'd rather just tell everybody, hey, you're doing great. Keep it up. But we've got to also hear the words of Jesus, like you said in Revelation 2 and 3, and say, these are the specific sins where if you don't repent of these things, bad things are going to happen. Right. Uh, some of those bad things, by the way, they can be like soaping and sowing and reaping judgments that come on ourselves. I mean, you just make poor decisions. Things aren't going to turn out well, just a fact yeah. of life for Christians or non-Christians. But the point is yeah. sowing reaping. But there also is that that tone that Jesus, or not tone, it's the actual um, warning that Jesus gives that it won't turn out well. And also because of my involvement, I will be removing my hand of blessing. Um, that's mm -hmm. in the first of the seven churches. And there's other yeah. things that he explains on that. So, okay. So we're, we're really focusing here on a lack of repentance in general in America, but specifically now we're focusing in on the church. Yeah. And this is a huge part of when God did move at the university of Wisconsin, um, and in, in uh, many lives personally, like my own, and God specifically showed us, this is what you need to repent of. And so important not to harden our hearts on that is it yeah. talks about in Hebrews three, don't harden your hearts like, Ooh, that hurt a little bit, but it's from the Lord. I need to address it. I need to talk, talk to the Lord about it, probably make restitution with other people, truly, um, truly turning um, from the, the wrongdoings that I've done as a Christian. And then once that came in, then we did experience the streams of living water. More people are coming mm -hmm. to faith. And here we are in, in a true move of God that's substantive. And so again, um, we're hitting on a few things here, but back to the declare and decree thing. Sometimes that group 
um, can just miss the repentance piece. I, mm-hmm. I know one um, revival expert, um, uh, historian, so forth, uh, David Smithers, he, uh, he talks about how uh, we need to be careful we're not bypassing what we're talking about right here is that every every revival and Jonathan Edwards back in the 1700s talked about the same thing but every revival had this point where individual Christians became broken over their own sin and then God came forth we we really need to look as well at James chapter 4 and highlight mm-hmm. verses 4 through 10 again this is to Christians now mm-hmm. in among people that talk about a move of God often, um, second Chronicles seven fourteen is, is mm-hmm. quoted, which is mm-hmm. if my people, again, talking to believers, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, uh, forgive their sin and heal their land. Um, now the, the James chapter four, which we're going to read here and we'll put up on the screen for the people that are getting this on YouTube. But James chapter four is the New Testament equivalent of Second yeah, Chronicles seven. I agree, and we don't have time to get into all the stuff. But some people have tried to dismiss Second Chronicles seven. Well, it was directed at Israel. It's not for the church today. All kinds of bizarre things because those four things I just read: humbling ourselves, praying, seeking His face, turn from wicked ways. Those are New Testament themes. I don't. I mean, when people yeah. try to dismiss Second Chronicles seven fourteen, I know what are they trying to say? We don't have to be humble. We don't have to seek His face. We don't mm-hmm. have to turn from our wicked ways. We don't have to pray. I mean, I think you get the point. But let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. And I'm going to read James chapter four verses four through 10 and love to get your insight on this chuck especially in our modern context but this is what it says you adulteresses now remember james is writing to believers the context yeah. of this letter is believer he's 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 not soft peddling this you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose when it says he jealously desires the spirit, which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and, you, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Amen. I think one of the things that we need to do, Dave, to get where we need to be as the people of God is to repent of our false theologies. In the church in America today, for the most part, we don't have a theological framework for even saying, how a Christian could be at enmity with God. We, we understand the doctrine of justification by faith and that by faith alone, God accepts us and loves us. But we don't also understand how God could accept us and love us and we could be a son or daughter, but he could also be for a temporary period of time opposed to us and be us be under his judgment. So the first thing we've got to do, and and this is especially for Christian teachers, leaders, and pastors, is to recognize that all of the way that we have explained some of these things or understood some of these things, or or maybe not 
uh, been closely aligned enough to the scriptures. We've got to repent of that. And we've got to be able to start being able to preach according to the word of God and not just according to what we like to preach or what we've mainly been taught in our streams or at least underscored and emphasized in our streams. So this passage, before you you go on, but what about, you know, a couple things immediately we're going to heal here people saying, but doesn't God love me the way I am? Doesn't God's grace cover all of this? Like, what do you say to that? Yeah. Well, I love how James gets to the grace piece in verse six. He says, but he gives more grace. God wants to give more grace to us and he abounds in grace and mercy and steadfast love. That's the majority, so to speak, of God's nature and and, and movement towards us is grace. But in his grace, he's not going to leave us in a place where we are not being faithful to him, not living up to the call of Jesus Christ on our lives. He's not going to leave us there. What child uh, or what parent would be a good parent if they let their child just kind of never go to school, never bathe themselves, never go out and socialize? I mean, this is not what we're supposed to do as human beings. Well, we have a high calling in Christ Jesus as Christians. And God, our Father, loves us so much. He wants us to step into the fullness of the maturity of being a son or a daughter of God. So he's going to put some pressure on us. He is going to uh, maybe take away some privileges. He's going to give us some consequences, kind of to use the language that we use a lot in parenting today, in order to get us woken up so that we'll step in and start doing the things he wants us to do. And then he'll give us more grace. And then he will eagerly forgive us our sins and he'll restore us again and do amazing and wonderful things in our lives. But we got to recognize that, hey, and not everything is always good between me and God. It's good in the sense that if I trust in his son, I have salvation, but it's not necessarily good in the moment if I'm not submitting my life fully to the Lordship of Christ. Yeah, right on. Well, um, anything else just in this James chapter four passage, obviously friendship with the Mm -hmm. world is in there. Wow. You touched on that through second Timothy uh, Mm -hmm. chapter three, like lovers of pleasure. Like it just bleeds over with, I believe what you're saying in that we have to repent as believers first. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple other things that really stand out to me in verse eight. I think verse eight is is if you have to like simplify it in, in, from this whole passage, which I agree with you, is the New Testament expression of Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You just see the kind of the if then the conditionality to God. God God will heal or forgive heal. Uh, sorry, forgive uh, hear forgive and heal. If we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. That's Second Chronicles 7, 14, right? James 4, 8, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. There's a an if-then there. So that's one thing I think that's so important. And again, that's a theological basis that we in, in American Christianity need to encourage people. And again, a lot of times we just kind of want to say, hey, God loves you no matter what. Well, there's a sense in which God does have unconditional, but there's another sense in which God's not going to draw near to you until you start drawing near to him. So don't presume upon God doing something that he told you, I'm looking for you to draw near to me. So that's another problem. And and we talk about um, in Christianity, we talk about the importance of understanding 
the compatible nature of our human responsibility and our relationship to God and God's sovereignty. Because sometimes right now in the in the church in America, and this happens throughout the history of the church, there gets to be an overemphasis in some places in the church on God's sovereignty. And we just say, oh, okay, God's just going to do it. God's just going to draw near to us because we're in his son and by faith. That's not what the scripture's saying. Scripture's saying, no, 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 wait, Christian, you can't sit back in your faith easy chair. You've got to start drawing near to God. So I think that's one thing that's crucial to adopt and understand. And then the second and last thing I want to say about this passage is, again, the emphasis on things like repentance, where he, he uses words like cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. That's repentance um, references there. And then also... Uh, be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It reminds me of a time where John Melundi was, uh, we know John, uh, you and I, Dave, he's a, uh, a man who helped lead a revival in the nation of Uganda. He said he was preaching at a church in the States and the conviction of God came over the room and people were, were weeping and, and mourning and just crying out to God, asking, Lord, forgive me for all the ways that I've been sinning against you. I want to get right with you and all this sort of stuff. And then he said, the pastor came up to end the service and he, he said, hey, everything's great. Let's go and have a great week. You know, he just felt this need that we've always got to end on a happy note. And again, that's another thing where we've got to start lining up with the scriptures. And sometimes it's a time to, to weep and to mourn and to wail. I, there are other times to be happy and rejoice, and obviously. But we have to understand there are times for this. And, and it's a time for this right now in America. So um, not to uh, get too convicting here, but when <laughs> have anyone listening to this podcast, and, and Chuck and myself included, when have any of us been in one of our local church gatherings or b small group Bible study or whatever, where we wailed, mourned, and wept over our spiritual condition and the spiritual condition of our nation. This mourning thing is not just in James 4. It's, it's a, a major thing, especially when it comes to nations, which we're talking about here today. Why is God not moving more throughout America? Um, this is huge. Um, and so, yeah, I think we can't just run on to the next thing, uh, whether it, like that pastor obviously made that mistake running on to the next thing, have a great week, et cetera. Um, but we need to carry this with us throughout the week or as long as God has for us to get low before him. And again, I feel like that's a message we're missing in, in the American church is how to get low before the Lord. God responds to humility. And there's a lot to that. It's not just like, Hey, I think I'm humble now. No, there's a movement of the heart and a confession and repentance, but also a, a feeling of un, unworthiness and inadequacy and all kinds of things that are part of this getting low before the Lord, including literally mourning before um, the Lord. Well, okay. Um, all these things are have the practical side responding in faith and what we do need to do. Um, we can look at James 4 and, and get a lot of practicality. Just want to kind of wrap us up here. Um, and, and Chuck, I do want to give you the final word before we close, but I do want to just uh, highlight one other area that we, we didn't really have time to get to today, um, but I at least want to mention it. And that is, I don't think the church in America, based on what's being preached publicly in our churches, I don't think we understand the danger that our nation is in. And I think if we understood the danger, like if you read the scriptures and how God interacts with nations as well as individuals and how this can play out, um, I think that uh, suddenly uh, if we understood the danger and we're then therefore speaking out on it and preaching on it and teaching on it, 
I think people would naturally start just doing the stuff we're talking about, well, uh, humbling yeah. ourselves, praying, seeking his face. Um, God, help us. Uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, oh God, in wrath, remember mercy and start crying out these things uh, for yeah. our nation. Um, I, so I, um, Chuck, you get the final word on the whole podcast here, but I just want to highlight this. America mm -hmm. is in danger. And yeah. when you read through the scriptures, uh, nations that behave the way America has been behaving now for been behaving for a long time, those yeah. nations are not blessed with the move of God. Typically, those nations are destroyed by God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand this and feel it and, and so forth, and the church isn't speaking about it, I believe it's just a whole nother undercurrent of why we're not seeking the Lord in a way that he would move in our nation yeah. in a, in a glorious, in a glorious way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, James, I'm mean, sorry, Jeremiah 18 underscores what you're saying. And, and it's very clear in Jeremiah 18, that God says that this is about any nation. It's not just about the nation of Israel. So we can kind of set that aside and say it replies to any nation that would do what he asks them to do, he'll bless them. But if one starts to do um, what uh, is against his will um, and disobeys him, then he'll bring judgment. So um, that's very clear. And I think you're right that that's very important. And, and I think in terms of a, a last word, I think that what's most critical at this time is for Christian leaders, pastors, people like you and me, Dave, and others listening and watching, who are giving leadership in some way or another, whether vocationally, bivocationally, or volunteer, who are leading and leading others in the faith, is that we highlight these things, that we are not afraid to talk about the things that God wants to talk about, even if they're uncommon, even if they're unpopular. We need to have a sober assessment and a true assessment as to what's going on and what do we need to do about it. And in fact, Christian Union America, one of the things that we um, are doing is uh, working with a, an organization that's just starting up called Heritage Pastors Association. And Dave, you know about this and you've joined. We do. Uh, we work with pastors and voc vocational Christian leaders to come together once a month, every month, once a month for a whole day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., a prayer and fasting. And it's all about these things. It's for ourselves, first and foremost to be repenting, humbling ourselves before God and seeking him for a great outpouring of his grace and spirit upon us. And then we also do this twice a year for a week at a time, a week in October and a week in April, just to come together five days, all day and night to pray, to fast, to read the scriptures, to confess our sins, to confess our sins in the nation and to plead that God would pour out his spirit and be merciful. So we need the shepherds of God's people first of all, to return to him in these ways and start interceding for his purpose. And that every Christian uh, obviously is called to this as well. So um, yeah, may God give us grace to respond to him in the ways that he is asking us to. And this is going to mean we step out of line with what's commonly done in our churches and in our ministries around the nation. There are some exceptions, but most are not calling Christians to do the kind of things that are necessary to humble ourselves in fasting, to pray night and day and much more than we typically do, to repent of our sins thoroughly and often, to obey him in every respect, um, to take times, extended times, uh, many days to come and seek him 
So some of these things are, are really out of vogue, but we need to return to God's principles and he'll return to us if we do. And it would be an amazing Amen. thing to behold. Amen. And uh, I really would like you to highlight the Christian Union fire that's coming up here in October. Give us the exact dates. And this is a great on-ramp for any Christian. So this is not the other thing you're doing that's just for pastors. This is for any Christian, and it can just be an easy on-ramp with you and Christian Union and all these people around the country to seek God and get it in our system of what it could look like to even seek God in a more uh, uh, thorough way, complete way, exciting way, I would also say. These things have been so helpful for me. So Chuck, what's coming up here with Christian Union Fire? Absolutely. These CU Fire retreats have been really special. Um, And uh, it's an awesome way for anybody to do the very things that we're talking about. Instead of just talking about it, we need to do something about it. And these retreats are an incredible way to do that. So it's a it's a day and a half. It's October 14th and 15th. We've got other ones in the future. I'll just concentrate on October 14th and 15th. It's a Friday night, 6 to 9 p.m. and a Saturday, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. You get a small group of your friends together. It could be an existing small group in your church or prayer gathering that you do, or just gather some of your friends and say, hey, let's do this. Let's come over to my place. And Christian Union provides you with a schedule to follow that's full of prayer, repentance, uh, kind of fellowship, building each other up, uh, reading the scriptures for two hours at a time, th- uh, four over the course of Friday night and all day Saturday, four biblically challenging messages along these kinds of lines. And the testimonies from this have just been uh, really amazing. People who've been Christians for a long period of time, even people in ministry have done it, said this has been one of the most powerful spiritual experiences of my whole life. People can go to cufire.org to be able to read about this and sign up. You can still sign up. We're uh, not too far away, but there's still uh, room. And, and we're expecting hundreds and hundreds of people across the nation and um, about 100 different small groups joining. So it's for anybody, any background, anyone who's hungry to seek the Lord. Amen, which I'm sure is all of us uh, here today. <laughs> so. Uh, just for those that are getting this on Spotify and can't see it on the screen, CU Fire, the letter C, the letter U, uh, and then fire.org. Letter C, letter U, then fire.org. And it's going to be a, a, an awesome time. Um, just again, reflecting on my participation in, in the CU Fires, it's been important for me personally. It's helped me to go further and deeper. And as I've often said, I'd like to say, hey, I just do this on my own. You know, Friday night, all day Saturday, I'm laughing because it's a joke for me. It's like mm-hmm. I need something like this yeah. that gives me structure and challenge and, and a real focus on, on the scriptures as well as prayer and helps lead me through it. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, thanks for doing that, Chuck. And uh, thank you for joining us today. It's really been, a, I, I feel like, a, a lively conversation. So thank you for yeah. joining Well, thanks. Thanks again so much, Dave. Really a privilege to be here with you. All right. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on Insights uh, for this episode. And uh, I just want to highlight that some of our previous episodes really have nailed the danger that America's in. And if that's that part of this podcast that you want to go deeper in, um, there's several topics if you you look at the the, podcast. Uh, Forerunners of America channel. Thank you for joining us and I look forward to being with you next time.